that was Brian. But anyway, what an incredible, incredible morning of worship. Um, I just want our church people to know how much your staff loves you and how much we brag on you. And, you know, we talk with other churches and, and they have their issues and they talk about this or talk about that. And your people do that or your people do that. And, you know, it's, we want you to know we love y'all and, and we're thankful for y'all and we brag on y'all that, that y'all are one of the most loving churches we've ever been, have a privilege to be able to serve at. And we're grateful and thankful and we're praying for y'all just like we pray that y'all will pray for us as we walk through this time and these unprecedented waters. But we are grateful and thankful and we are thankful for our fathers. Um, you know, I've been blessed to have a incredible legacy of godly men in my life. Uh, I've got a, two pictures. I was able, just at the last minute, I thought, I'm going to talk about these men, but I don't know that I can, I, I forgot to get all the pictures together, so, but uh, the first picture, I think if you can see, I'm gonna, it's, it's a picture of, uh, there should be four of us. I can't see it, so I hope Caleb's got it going on in the back, but it's a picture of uh, my, uh, myself, on the, on, it would be your, your left there. Uh, my dad is in the middle, and then that, that's his dad, my grandpa, who I'm named after. He's Robert Lee, my dad's Robert Charles, and I'm Robert Lee. Uh, Fred Cadle never called me Bobby. He always called me Robert Lee, or called me Robert. So, uh, and uh, I, I miss that, I miss that. But and then the little one in the middle is, is the fourth generation, that's my son Caleb. And, and, you know, my dad, like I said, I had godly men in my life, and my dad was one of them. And one of the things that he taught me is family is everything. My grandpa taught me that there is, of, of many things, these are just a couple. My grandpa, his dad, taught me that there's power in a gentle spirit. I'm trying to learn about a gentle spirit, but my grandpa, uh, there was power in a gentle spirit. And then the next picture I want to show you, uh, way back in the day, so it's a picture of, uh, that's my sister, Dee, who y'all have never had the privilege to be able to meet. She's with the Lord, and that's my grandmother, uh, Granny, and, and she is holding a baby. That's my, my sister, Angela. She, I was four, and then the, the nappy-haired one <laughs> is uh, me. Uh, I guess I was 14 at the time, but the one I really want you to see is my grandfather, Grand Grand. Now, we always called him Grand Grand. He was six foot four, six foot three, six foot four. And I don't know if you can really tell in the picture, but he's got some big old paws for hands. But he, he taught me to say what you mean and to mean what you say. He's another one who had a gentle spirit, and there was power in that gentle spirit. And then the one that I wasn't able to get a picture of was my father-in-law, Chuck, who uh, he taught me. Um, that there's always enough love. You know, Chuck never had any biological children, so he married Lavetta, and not too long after that, he, you know, there's a ton of grandkids, and, and um, he changed one diaper in his lifetime, and that was my daughter Cecily's, and he only did one, and he fought that one the whole time, but, but he had enough love for all of us. And, and like I said, the Bible tells us um, that uh, we are commanded in 2 Timothy that we're to teach those things that we've been taught. And these men were faithful in my life, in the lives of my children, and, and the rest of the family to be faithful to teach the things that they've been taught. And then it also, Proverbs tells us that we're to give uh, 
honor where honor is due. And I give honor to these men today because they were faithful in their love and their encouragement and their support and their teaching of me. Now, they're all gone to be with the Lord. So, I mean, I, you know, the, you, one of the signs of distress is you turn the flag upside down. Well, our flag's upside down because I'm it. I'm the patriarch now of my family. And so, but I'm grateful for the heritage. But maybe you don't have that. Maybe that's not the heritage that you have. You say, well, I don't have, Bob, I don't have all those godly men that are in my life. Well, I say you do. As a born-again believer, we have a spiritual heritage. Our Bible is chocker block full of godly men and godly women that have gone before us. And so today's title, if I could title this message, it's Honoring Our Fathers, Learning from Our Legacy. And so I want to take a few minutes and scroll through scriptures. And what I did is I asked, asked the Lord, God, what do you want to say? And the one thing I knew he put on my heart to say is encourage our men. Encourage our men. Encourage our fathers. And so that's what I pray that today's message is. And so I, wanna, I just went and looked at the lineage of Jesus. And you know, uh, it's found two times in the Bible, in Matthew and in Luke. Matthew follows the patriarchal lineage through Joseph, and Luke follows it through Mary's line. But, uh, but I wanted to look at just a few men in the Bible and draw some illustrations for us to encourage us today. The first one that really sticks out to me was Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, it says, After the birth of Methuselah, his son, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. See, Enoch had unhindered fellowship with God. Day in and day out, he spent time with God. He embraced that grind. You know, when the new wore off, you think after 300 years, the new would wear off? And that's one of the problems. We have such a short attention span in our world today. We get on fire for something, and then, no, it's something else, and then it's back to this, and it's back to that. And, and he just had that unhindered fellowship with God. Just being with God was enough for him. He embraced that spiritual grind every day of walking with God. Can you imagine what he learned? Can you imagine the conversations that he had with God? Walking with him face to face and then God taking him to be with him in heaven. Enoch, unhindered fellowship with God. But then we look at Abraham. And Abraham had an unyielding obedience to God. One of the ways he had an unyielding obedience to God was to move when God told him to move. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Isn't that interesting? He had an unyielding obedience to God to go to move where God told him to go, to physically do what God wanted him to do. Now, we talked about this in, our, in youth this morning in, in small group, is what are one of the first things that we do when someone tells us to do something? Like, you remember when you're kids, if you still have small kids, you ask them to do something, what's the first thing they do? They ask, why? 
You know, you don't ever see that in Abraham's life, that when God told him to move, he physically moved. So he did as God instructed him, to go where he wanted him to go and when God wanted him to go. Abraham had an unyielding obedience to God to move, but he also had an unyielding obedience to God to believe. So later in Genesis chapter 15, we see where God's telling him that he is going to be as numerous. You know, uh, he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 15, So sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son, since you have given me no children? Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so no one, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. The Lord took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. See, he had an unyielding obedience to God, to believe in God, to be who he says he would be, and to do what he says that he will do. But he also had an unyielding obedience to God to surrender. You know, he did have a child, and that child was born when he was 100 years old. And he named that child Isaac because it made them laugh, and he was so excited. But God, in Genesis chapter 22, asked Abram to do something that I would pray no one would ever ask me to do. See, he asked him to take his son and to sacrifice him. Verse 1, it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, Here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place that God had told him about. So they here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And then they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel said, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you, are tr that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, he had an unyielding, he had an unyielding obedience to God, not only to believe, not only 
but also to surrender. And see, Abraham surrendered everything to God. Nothing was left untethered to God. His dreams, his desires, his life, and his family. Can you imagine? You know, God told him he's going to have a son. He finally, after a hundred years, has that son. Then what does God ask him to do? To go and to sacrifice that son. And it took three days to get there. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I can do, as simple-minded as I am, I can do a whole lot of thinking in three days. And you know that there was more than just one time. Now, we see in the scriptures where one time Isaac asked his father, Father, where's the sacrifice? We've got everything else. You know the servants had to be grumbling a little bit. No, you're not grumbling, but asking, what's going to happen? We don't see the sheep. Why did he get a sheep? We know he has a ton of them back home. Why didn't he bring one? I can't imagine this, the turmoil in his heart of all knowing that God's always been faithful. God's always been faithful. God's always been faithful. But yet he's asking me to do something that I can't do. But yet he believed that God would provide. He was willing to surrender everything. See, we have a legacy of faith in Enoch and, and unhindered fellowship with God. But we also see we, see we have a legacy in Abraham's life of unyielding obedience to him. Well, let's look at King David. See, King David had an undying love for God. You can see that in 1 Samuel 13 where he had this unyielding, this undying love to seek God. 1 Samuel 13 says like this, But now your kingdom is in, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be a leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, God was telling Saul that his reign is over and that he has found another man. And he says, this man is a man after my own heart that will seek to bring honor and glory to me. Did he do it perfectly? No. Was Abraham's faith perfect? No. Was Enoch's faith and walk with God perfect? I seriously doubt that. Why? Because we all have that human element to our lives. But yet David sought after God. Psalm 143, it's a great heart cry. He says, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk for I give myself to you. See, he was seeking God for relationship and direction and wisdom and care. How many times do we see in, in, in the Psalms where David is crying out to God and lifting his heart up to God and even when he sinned against God, he believed that his sin was first and foremost against God before anyone else. But he also had an undying love to honor God. 1 Samuel 17, 45, it's an incredible story. And we know the story. It's David and Goliath. And so Goliath is taunting the nation of Israel and all the men are out there and, and they're just scared of him. And basically Goliath says, if you can whip me, we'll all be your servants. But if not, you send somebody out and I whip them and I will, then y'all will be our subjects. And so day in and day out that would happen. And one day Jesse sent David to go to send some food and to check on his brothers who were there camped with the, with the army. And so he goes and he sees this Goliath, this Philistine, taunting the armies of God. And we pick up in the story in, in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 45, it says, David replied, so David says, I'm going to go and I'm going to battle this guy. You know, there, he is defying God. And so he talks Saul into it. Saul sends him, tries to give him his armor. And he's like, I can't wear that stuff. He says, but I'm going to go because I know God's equipped me because when I tend the sheep, I've had to fight off lions and bears. 
And so he walks out to that Philistine, and David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and to the whole, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give us to you. See, we have a spiritual legacy of men in our lives like David, who has an incredible zeal to love God, to bring honor and see honor brought to his name. And so David wasn't going and fighting for the nation of Israel. David wasn't going fighting for his brothers. David wasn't going fighting for himself. He was going because God called him to fight for God because the Philistines army were talking trash and were, were bringing uh, dishonor, trying to bring dishonor to God's name. No one else's name but God's name. And he has this huge desire to honor God. And so he goes, and we know the story. He takes that rock, he takes that sling, he plants that stone deep in Goliath's head. And then to add insult to injury, he cuts his head off with his own sword. That's like getting whipped with your own stick. But you also see that David had an undying love for God to abide with him. Psalm 63, we read where he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I will lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. You see, David had an undying love for God, to spend time with God, to abide with God. Well, let's go on in the, in, in the lineage of Jesus and let's look at the life of Josiah. See, Josiah in his life, we can see an unflinching faith in God. See, Josiah, Josiah was eight when he became king. Now, his dad was king before him, but his dad was so wicked, he only, I believe, reigned for two years. And his dad before that, his, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, he struggled in his walk in honoring God in the way that he was king until he was sent in prison. And then he repented, and towards the last years of his ministry or of his, of his kingdom, he actually turned the people back to God. So Josiah was cut, cutting a new path. And we see this in 2 Chronicles 34 in verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight, year old, eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek God as his ancestor David. See, Josiah had an unflinching faith in God to follow a new path. He took the initiative. It was not the path of his dad. And he did it without anyone holding his hand or prodding him. I mean, eight years old. That's so young. And he still chose to follow God. 
But then not only that, his unflinching faith is seen in his willing, being willing to face opposition because in the 12th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem. So now he's 20. That's still young, right? I mean, I was 20 about five years ago-ish. More on the ish than the five. But, I mean, that still seems so young. He was, and, and so in his 20th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images. He ordered the altars of Baal to be demolished and the incense altars which stood above them to be broken down. He also made sure the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He burnt the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars, so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same in the towns of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and as far as Naphtali and in the regions all around them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols into dust. He cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Finally, he returned to Jerusalem, and in the 18th year of his reign, he had purified the land and the temple. Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azalah, and Messiah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Johaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. See, he was willing, he loved God, he had such an unflinching faith in God, he was willing to face opposition. You know, no one rolled over for, Jos for Josiah. We read that and think, wow, that's awesome, man, he came in there and cleaned house. But I guarantee you, there was nobody throwing rose petals down in his path as he went to do that. There was no red carpet in every town that he went to to tear down, because, you know, people's livelihoods were being torn down, you know, and all these worshipers. And then he was defiling those places that they worshiped those things by burning the bones of the priests and pouring it over their ashes. So, I mean, he faced opposition. He had to have faced jeering. He had to have faced resistance. He had to have faced backbiting, second-guessing, criticism, and a host of all other unlovely things. Yet what? He was unflinching in his faith in God to face the opposition that was coming his way. But he also had an unflinching faith in God to facilitate repentance. As we read on in 2 Chronicles 34, beginning in verse 29, it says, Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant of the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey to the, uh, the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so renewing their covenant of God with God and the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Do you see, he had an unflinching faith in God to facilitate repentance first in his own life. See, Joshua got right with God, then he led others to do the same. And he utilized the influence that God had given him. See, he knew God had given him a platform. 
He was king. People have to obey him. He can lead by example. And he used that platform that God had given him, not because he was worthy of it, but because God had placed him there. And he used that platform to see repentance, to see change come. Man, can y'all not see in what we've gone so far? I mean, it's just story after story in the Bible of God saying that he's placed people in areas of influence. He's given people platforms. He's given Christ followers platforms, and we need to be taking the lead in that. Man, that's our prayer. God place a godly person in, in areas of authority in our country. Because we know they're walking in repentance with you, and they're going to be leading by example to bring others into that same type of relationship. And lastly, I want to look at Jesus himself. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't a father. Well, he's our spiritual father, is he not? For in him and by him and through him, as Colossians says, all things were created and all things hold together. Did he not father the disciples? Did he not care for them, intend for them? Absolutely. And we see in Jesus an unending leadership. See, it's a leadership of serving. He's seen in John chapter 13 where he washes the disciples' feet. And he says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me a teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. See, this unending leadership of serving was seen in never turning people away. You know, he always had time. Even when the disciples would say, no, Jesus, you're tired. No, Jesus, you're hungry. He says, my food's to do the will of the Father. He never, you never see, even where, uh, people of authority or not of authority, the little children, they wanted to try to hinder the little children for, to come to him. And he t rebukes the disciples and says, don't hinder them. He always had time. He never turned people away. And he was always putting others before himself. And he was only doing what their father invited him to do. But Jesus' example of unending leadership is also in his investing in the lives of others. It's seen in his, in his prayer in John chapter 17. In verse 4, he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed to you the ones you gave me. I have revealed to you, you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. See, Jesus shows us an unending leadership, not only of serving, but of investing, of pouring into others all the time. You know, I did not realize till later in life that he put men in my life that that's all they did was pour into me. All the things I know to do is from being there and watching my, my grandfather, my dad, and, and all of them, my father-in-law, doing it before me. You know, I, one thing I didn't tell y'all that I learned from my father-in-law, Chuck, and it's almost a derogatory statement to call him father-in-law, was he taught me that I can be teachable. Because as he got on later in life, and my family knows this, wherever I was, there was a chair, and he would tell me how to do everything. 
But he was investing. He was showing me the right way to do it. And, and sometimes I'd fuss at him and he would just stop and say, now, do you want to learn to do it the right way or you want to do it your way? So I want to learn to do it the right way. I want to learn to live the right way. And God's given us that legacy. But Jesus was always encouraging and teaching and correcting. He was always investing and giving all that he had and leaving nothing on the table. But he also, Jesus also models unending leadership by modeling. In Philippians, it's the way he carried himself. In Philippians 2, we see where he says to be humble, to take an interest in others, that you should have the same attitude as that as Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, Jesus modeled for us the way to live, the way he carried himself, not proud, not puffed up, not being an attention hog. And doesn't that... Doesn't that flow contrary to what our world says today? It's all about you. You know, social media, it's all about you. People watching you, what you're doing, and all that kind of stuff. But he also modeled for us how to imitate fellowship with God. Jesus was all about being about the Father's business, about following him, spending time with him in prayer, and having a radical dependence upon him. But the last thing I also want us to see is, is that Jesus had an unending leadership in protecting. And again, in John chapter 17, he says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me so that they bring me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from this world. They're staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. See, Jesus, Jesus was unending in his leadership of protection physically. Remember how many times we see in scriptures where he calmed the storm or he, where, the, where the disciples thought everything was going crazy and Jesus walks up on the scene and it wasn't going crazy at all. He had everything under control. You know, they said there was nothing that he showed them that there was nothing that wasn't you know, within his power to protect them. But also spiritually, he, was, he, was, he tried to, you know, when it says in the Bible, when Jesus set his heart to Jerusalem, he knew the Passion Week was coming, he knew the cross was coming, he began to invest in the disciples' lives, trying to protect them spiritually, to get them ready to equip them for when he ascended to the right hand of God but also to protect them emotionally, preparing their minds and their hearts of what's to come. And so, what is the point of all of this? And there's so many more. The Bible's filled with so many examples of godly men and godly women, of, of, of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers uh, who have gone before, who have not been perfect, but have walked with God, is to show us that we have a legacy. If you don't have a godly father, man, I'm so sorry for that. I did, and I'm so thankful. But you have heavenly fathers. You have spiritual fathers that have gone before you that have given us examples of unhindered fellowship with God. We have an incredible legacy of men and women, people that have lived out their faith. And he's calling, God's calling us to take our position, to take our part in that ongoing legacy. It's not dead. This church building might be mostly empty, but God's church is still going on. You can't stop that. 
and really and truly, if we want to look at it through online media, we've probably had a greater impact to reach more people with the message that God's speaking here than we've ever had if we just gathered together. Now, I'm praying we'll gather together again because there's, we are better together. But we have this legacy, and he's calling us to step into that legacy and to be a part of that. Men, be encouraged. Fathers, be encouraged. You have that legacy. And if you don't ha didn't have that physical legacy, then the legacy starts with you. Then you, if, you're, if you can say, I did not have a phys a physically a father that loved the Lord, then it starts with you. You have a spiritual father. If you can say, I didn't have a father that showed unyielding obedience to you, to God, then it starts with you. Can you hear his heart cry to take that place? Can others see in you that unyielding, that unhindered fellowship with God? Can others see in you that unyielding obedience that even when it's not right or it's not comfortable or it goes against everything else, I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to walk in relationship with God. I'm going to lead a life of, of repentance for God. I'm going to lead that in my family. Man, listen, I'm telling you, following God in your family is not always easy. I have grown kids now. Okay? I tried to live that legacy in front of them. I tried to help them see what unhindered fellowship with God looked like. I tried to help my family see what unyielding obedience meant. And sometimes that meant telling them no. And do you think people like, do you like to be told no? I don't like to be told no. But no, it can be the most positive word because no can protect us. And so it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Do you have an unflinching faith in God to know that even when it gets difficult, we're still going to follow God? We're still going to follow God. I'm sorry, my son, you might not like me right now. That's all right. I'm still going to follow God, and I'm still going to encourage you to follow God. You know, my son is grown now. He lives on his own. But I'm telling you, as God gives me breath, I'm still trying to be a father to him. I'm still trying to encourage him in all those things. And sometimes he tells me, man, Dad, it seems like you're on me all the time. I said, hey, be thankful. Thank God that you have someone in your life that's invested in you, that's, in, that's encouraging you, that wants probably better for you than you want for yourself. We have that legacy of people in the Bible that have, have gone before us, that are invested in God and, and want to be invested in us. And, and God is using them in our lives. We do we have an unflinching faith in God? And also, is our leadership unending? Dad, Father, be encouraged. You have a legacy in Scripture. Stand strong. Do not grow faint. God can work and will work through you. He will give you an unending desire to invest in those that He's brought before you. Man, if you're, not, if you're a female and you're not married, that needs to be your prayer. God, lead me. Lead me to a person like this. Lead me to a man like this. I told the teenagers this morning, if you're a teenager, you need to be praying. God, I pray the boy, the young man, that I, I pray he'll become this biblically man, this biblical man. Will you bring that person to me? You know, if you're, if you're a, a, a wife, I'm praying you pray that for your husband. God, help him to live up to the legacy that's in your word, to have an unhindered fellowship with you, to be unyielding in his obedience to you, to be unflinching in his faith to you. 
and be unending in his leadership. God, would you make him to be that one? Dad, Father, if you're tired right now, may these words encourage you. Philippians 1, I'm certain that God, who began a good work in you, within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, see, this is a heart cry of God. This is not God saying, you go do these things. This is God saying that as you focus on relationship with me, I'm going to begin to do those things in you. I'm going to begin to give you a desire to have an ending fellowship with me, to have unyielding obedience to me, to have an unflinching faith in the midst of adversity in me, and to have an unending leadership, a desire to invest in others. I'm going to do that work. I started it, and I'm going to finish it. And it ultimately doesn't stop being finished till Jesus comes back where he takes us home. Man, I'm learning today more and more how to be the man of God he's called me to be, and I realize how much I don't know. I think that's a good place to be. That I, I'm learning now how much more every day, God, we sing about it, I need you. I need you. Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he's planned for us long ago. Philippians 2.13, it's God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do not grow faint, young man. Senior adult man, father, maybe your children are growing and out of the house. There are still other men that God wants to bring into your life that you can pour into, that you can share what you've learned, that you can share your faith walk with them, that you can share how God provided for you, that you can share some of the mistakes that you made, that you can be used by God to invest in the lives of others. Remember I asked y'all uh, if y'all knew that adulting adult kids was hard, and everybody said, amen, amen. And I said, why didn't y'all tell me? We can't be quiet anymore. We cannot be quiet anymore. We have to, as men, we have to encourage each other. There is a legacy of faith for us. And God wants us to step up to it, and He wants us to yield to Him and let Him do that work in us. And here's what happens. is when we get tired, we know in Isaiah that He never grows weak, that He never grows weary. God never grows tired. That even when I've become exhausted, that I will find new strength in Jesus Christ. And I will soar high. And I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and not become faint. And when you and I live up to that legacy of faith, you know what happens? Philippians 2. Every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why and what's the purpose? To bring glory and honor to the Father. Dads, be encouraged today. We have a legacy. Get in the Word. Read the Word. Discover that legacy and all that God has done and is doing in the lives of those that we read He wants to do in your life and even greater. And let's step into our position in this legacy of faith. And let's see the next generations step into their legacy. Why? Because we modeled what has been modeled before us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand before your people. 
And Father, you have encouraged me so much that God, I confess, I am not the man. I am not the father that I've read about today, but I want to be. And God, I know that as I just walk with you, that you will work in me to take my place in this legacy of faith. And God, it is my prayer for your people that they catch the vision that you have given us an incredible legacy of faith. So many great examples that even though our human family may have failed us and fallen short, you never have. And God, that you want to do a work in us. It starts with the relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray, if anyone listening, anyone watching, God, if they don't know what it means to walk in relationship to you, to have a relationship with you, God, that that would be the first place that they would start. That they would call somebody, that they would contact someone, Father, reach out to someone that they know could help them understand what it means to walk in relationship with you. And God, for those of us that are, God, I pray that we'll be encouraged, even if we feel like we fall terribly short of being, having unyielding faith. God, that we would know that you're doing that work, that you will complete what you set forth, that you began that work in us at salvation, and God, you will continue that work. And may we be encouraged today. God, thank you for the godly men that have gone before us. Father, we... Bless your name because of them. May we become the godly men and the godly women that you're calling us to become and take our place in this legacy of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank